0: Welcome to the Nonprofit Hero Factory, a weekly live video broadcast and podcast where we'll be helping nonprofit leaders and innovators create more heroes for their cause and a better world for
1: all of us. Ding, ding. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Hero Factory. As always, I am your host Boris Kievsky, and I am here today with a friend of mine whom I've known for a few years now. Um, I don't know how many we go back. Maybe, maybe he can remember. But his name is Sean Kosofsky. Let me pronounce that right. And I love his moniker of the nonprofit fixer. It says a lot right there. But he is a coach, consultant, trainer, and strategic advisor to nonprofits. For the past 28 years, he has helped causes, campaigns, and candidates raise millions of dollars and transform nonprofit organizations and leaders. Sean has served in a wide variety of roles in nonprofits from policy, communications, development, organizer, direct service, boards, and five stints as an executive director. He has worked on a wide range of issues, including LGBTQ equality, reproductive justice, voting access, bullying prevention, climate change, and more. All really great, important issues. Sean's work has been covered in media outlets, really relevant to today, internationally, and He has received numerous awards for his work. He's an author and the owner of Mind the Gap Consulting. Sean is currently the executive director of Climate Advocacy Lab. He is a proud Detroit native, but lives in New York with his husband and their dog, Harry. Before I bring Sean on, let me just tell you that his superpower is pitching. He says that he's very good at breaking things down and explaining them simply in a way that is easy for people to understand, and I'm guessing very effective for hooking media attention because that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about your PR and media strategy and training. With that, let's bring Sean on to tell us more. Hey, Sean. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great today. I'm really happy to have you on the show. We, as I said, have known each other for a few years now. We've done a few things together. And um, finally, I get to have you on the Nonprofit Hero Factory.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here to talk about all things
1: nonprofits. Awesome. And I know you could talk about all things nonprofits, but we're going to zone in and hone in, I should say, on one particular strength of yours, which you have several, uh, and that is the media training thing. But before we dive into that, I read your bio and your superpower here. You're clearly an impressive dude, 28 years. Hats off to you, off of my bald head here. But uh, real quick, why don't you give the folks at home a little introduction? What's your story? why do you do what you do today well i
0: think that you know for me nonprofit work has been a lifelong journey as you said 28 years i got my start at age 16 really stayed in this sector had no idea in college what i wanted to do when i grew up Uh, but when i fell into a really great job at a civil rights organization in that state at age 20 i was hooked and realized i could make a career out of doing this and Uh, I've just been in the nonprofit space ever since. But I really think the experience as a gay man of being in the closet when I was a teenager, the the painful experience of being in the closet and what um, that felt like has really driven so much of my advocacy and so much of my activism during my life, because I really want to make sure that I can end suffering wherever I see suffering happening. And if I can get paid doing that, that's amazing. So my journey has always taken me to organizations where I can specifically tackle Um, you know, people suffering or struggling or the world in some ways with climate organizations that I'm with now, uh, the world's sort of struggling.
1: That's awesome. Um, You know, it's it's interesting because a lot of nonprofit founders, I feel, get into the work because they personally have their own mission. Obviously, they have to be mission-driven in in, in some way or other. And a lot of it stems from what in the for-profit space might be called scratching your own itch, right? You have a problem and you want to solve it um, I think most of us can can resonate with that, and I really appreciate that you shared that bit with us today. Uh, so let's then dive into what's going on in the nonprofit sector, particularly when it comes to PR and, and media, what's happening in terms of COVID? How is the world happening? How is the world working or not working these days for organizations?
0: Well I think for a lot of people they've realized that the news environment and the media environment has really really changed and especially for nonprofit organizations it's 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 changing a lot because it's getting harder and harder to break through. So some of the things we've noticed that are happening out there in the past 10 or 15 years is that newsrooms are shrinking. Not only, I mean most of the newsrooms, the daily and local print and radio and broadcast publications across the country are getting smaller. It has to do with the fact that more and more news is available more and more freely for folks. And they, you know, whether uh, Huffington Post or all these different uh, trends really started this idea or Facebook or whatever it is that people can get lots of their information now for free. um, That we are seeing a lot of individuals out there, um, uh, you know, sharing news and sharing news around the country more freely. But it is causing news uh, sources to kind of shrink. And that means that people's. uh, uh resources of information are actually shrinking too. So many people around the country are getting more and more of their trusted news locally. And that really can be a good thing for nonprofits since most nonprofits are small. But it also does mean that there's more polarization. So this is one of the other problems that exist out there, is that increasingly people are being pushed to one side or the other based on where their news source is from. You can look at this through a lot of demographic data more than partisanship, more than almost anything else, where you get your information from has a big indication on where you fall politically. And that has a lot to do with the fact that some news is getting shared and repeated across the country that is not being fact-checked because newsrooms are shrinking and fact-checkers are shrinking, right? So the problem in the news media for nonprofits, especially advocacy organizations or anyone trying to dispel myths or rumors or bad information, whether you're working on mental health or you're working on advocacy or civil rights. It's really a problem uh, that we are, are seeing across the media environment.
1: So that's uh, absolutely all spot on. And and there's a lot to unpack in, in there in terms of what's happening in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Newsrooms are shrinking because there's, anyone now has access to become their own media channel. Anyone can now become a news source in one way or another. Now, whether or not they are biased, I mean, it's hard for any human being to not be biased in some way or other, but there are trained professionals who try to limit their bias when it comes to their reporting. And then there's the rest of us who you know, just want to present our point of view, our perspective. And now that anyone could be their own media network, right? Uh, Look, right now, we're on our own show. Uh, Even... 15, 20 years ago, this was near impossible for us to do. Pre dot-com boom, it was completely impossible. So that's definitely having a positive and negative effect. There's more news to find and more individual personal stories that you could access. And at the same time, there's less of what you're referring to as fact-checking and more of that you know, echo chamber effect that when you get into it, The world looks one way as opposed to what everyone might be seeing on the other side. Right. So then how do we manage that? How do we navigate that as organizations? I I guess we want to get our point of view out there. Hopefully, it's a fairly accurate and neutral point of view. But of course, organizations have opinions too, right? If you didn't think, have an opinion that there's something wrong with the world, you wouldn't be starting an organization. So How do you differentiate? And then let's talk about how you get your point of view out there.
0: Well, I think one of the most important things is to not sit idly by and let the media or news environment happen to you. It has to be uh, proactive engagement with newsrooms. It has to be actively putting out there to your email list, your website, social media, and to your media list, your point of view, your perspective, and the facts. I think that For a lot of organizations, this really does mean holding truth to power and making sure that when you see articles that come out, that you contact that reporter and say, hey, here's this thing you just ran, or here's this thing that's actually problematic or wrong. So we need to be correcting a lot of the things we see in the media. And that's one of the ways you can get press attention is simply watchdogging and policing it and making sure that it's actually accurate. And then you can do your own sort of work where it is packaging the work you do, the accomplishments you've had and pitching newsrooms or getting building relationships with reporters or publishers, or in some cases, influencers, to get a larger audience for your organization. But I do think one of the biggest things out there is getting the discipline down for organizations to understand what is my key message what is the thing that I want to say and that I'm talking to the reader and to the viewer, not to the reporter, right? You're trying to reach the actual public, not some conduit, not some journalist. They are helpful. They are important, but they are a means to getting the truth out to the public. That's what journalism does. And that's what the news media does. And the uh, successful organizations will know how to harness the media to get out its point of view and its perspective.
1: Okay. Awesome. Let's break all of that down. (laughs) So first of all, You mentioned holding truth to power and watchdogging. Um, Does that mean whenever you see something that you disagree with out in the media, it's about putting out a statement? Is it it trying to get in touch with the uh, uh, publication source or is it just putting out your own thing somewhere else? How do you how do you define watchdogging? What does that kind of look like for an organization?
0: I think if you, let's say you're an organization in Metro Detroit, my hometown, and the Detroit News or the Detroit Free Press is deciding to cover something in the in the news, like the recent shooting in um, um, Oxford Township, Michigan, there was this shooting there, right? If you're an organization working on public safety or gun issues or gun safety, or if you're a gun advocate, whatever the issue is. If there is an article or a series of articles covering something that is untrue or is based on a premise that you believe is untrue, you can contact that reporter and contact the different media outlets and use the coverage of what you're seeing as part of what story it is you want to cover, right? Simply pointing out the bias or pointing out the lack of information included in news articles can be newsworthy. So when I say watchdog, I, I don't mean know, being a pain in the butt, right? I just mean that folks can absolutely reach out to journalists or to the editorial page or to broadcasters or to independent journalists and bloggers and say, hey, here's something I'm noticing happening and this needs to be corrected, right? This is part of the whole um, uh, issue environment that we're traveling in right now that people keep referring to with this word or this term or with the wrong angle. And those are things you can do as a watchdog, or you can also put out your own statement, Right responding to the events of the day with your own written statement through email, through press statements, through social media, all of that can have an echo effect for your followers to be saying the same thing that you are and elevating
1: that perspective. I love that because it's empowering your supporters to really get your message out there more and and feel like they are helping the cause at the same time like it's an easy action that they could take to share your message in response to something to get more people looking at it from your point of view right so then it seems like you're talking about major news outlets right in this case like the Detroit Free Press what about these uh, smaller or more independent outlets that you're talking about, these smaller local uh, news outlets or even some of these folks Now you mentioned influencers earlier? You know, you've got right now, as, as we're talking, there's a, an ongoing uh, I don't know if it's a scandal or a debate about Joe Rogan and his influence on Spotify. Hmm we're not going to, I don't think a lot of nonprofits are going to be able to reach out to Joe Rogan and say, no, I want airtime on your show, right? Right. So what is it that we can do when it's not a major news outlet, but yet we want to respond to something or, or change the conversation around something?
0: Well, a lot of people are getting their news more locally. So it isn't, I mean, obviously a ton of people are tuning into Rogan and they're getting information from huge influencers, Tucker Carlson, Rachel Maddow. They're getting their information from huge sources, right? But I think the most important thing for most nonprofits is to focus locally, right? So if you notice, again, newsrooms are shrinking, so there's fewer and fewer journalists. So these newspapers are subscribing to content around the country. So if your company owns the Washington Post and like 30 other newspapers around the country, you're going to recycle the same articles around the country to save money. So if you're a local paper in the thumb of Michigan, those from Michigan know there's like a thumb in the shape there, Uh, there's like local papers there that might be just uh, syndicating or copying or subscribing to the same misinformation that's happening around the country. A year ago, for example, a year ago, maybe this week was the big freeze in Texas where they had this giant storm that like froze. The entire state or for vast swaths of the state and there was a huge disinformation campaign about what was to blame right was it the windmills which that people were circulating images of windmills that were not in texas and saying that this is the, the reason why this happened so Um, As someone who works on climate and clean energy, I know that that is a perfect moment to reach out to your local paper and say, look, we all know locally where our energy is actually coming from, especially in Texas. It is gas and oil, right? So we know that it is not the windmills causing this problem. So there are opportunities locally to have an impact. And then when people are doing fact checking or they're Google searching, as they are right now around the one year anniversary of that thing that happened in Texas, they can see the truth, right? So you might not be able to break through with the large folks who might have a commercial interest in actually spreading disinformation or misinformation, but locally you can have an impact. National nonprofits typically are a lot more sophisticated and have a larger press list and can actually go after a Joe Rogan someone else and say you need to stop this and there's a lot of advocacy right now around what's happening with spotify misinformation about covid 19 and artists pulling back their content from spotify so that's an activism thing we're seeing this opportunity of how do we confront misinformation and disinformation and one of the creative tactics emerging is getting artists to take a stand in this area, not just on Spotify, pulling back their content until they correct things on the Joe Rogan show about this uh, va- these vaccines, but also in many, many other ways where we're seeing people use artists to tackle these large platforms because the little guy might not be able to do that.
1: Right. So it's leveraging someone else's power who might believe in you and is hopefully already part of your community in one way or another to get them to draw attention to something because they have that bigger platform to speak from.
0: Right. Absolutely. So there's like a, depending on your issue, depending on your locality, depending on the demographics you serve, you're going to have different tactics available to you.
1: Very cool. And I, I like the uh, the statement you made about you know larger nonprofits will have a more national reach and and have larger uh, distribution lists, whereas local nonprofits, smaller nonprofits, whatever it might be. Um, you know, can still have an impact on a smaller or more local scale, but still a a dramatic impact. I also think that it's sometimes an opportunity for a smaller nonprofit to break out and and get its voice heard on a much larger scale, sort of go viral, if you will, Mm -hmm. if they do take a a great stance in opposition to something that's going on and and make their voice heard. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Right. So then, how do we develop these relationships with newsrooms? You mentioned that earlier. And, you know, when I think of developing a relationship, it's communication, it's, it's uh, you know, getting on phone calls or going out to dinner with, with somebody, you know, back before COVID, you'd take a client out to dinner or something like that. I don't imagine that that's how it happens necessarily with newsrooms. But what do you do? How do you how do you get that going?
0: Well, I think that the first and most important thing, if you're a local organization, which most nonprofits are, or even regional or statewide, the the most important thing you need to do is create a media list. A media list can be really simple. It can be a a one-page piece of paper or a spreadsheet or someplace or in your donor database, wherever you're keeping track of contact information, to create a list of all of the outlets that you want to have a relationship with and these can be daily papers this can be weekly alternative news magazines that tell you about concerts coming to town all that stuff if you're in a rural area it might be the local you know register that talks about like a purse snatching or like you know the the price of like you know uh, agricultural products and i don't mean to be dismissive of that but like those smaller town rags are people gobble that information up right and the information is hyper hyper local typically right so if you're working in a rural environment or a local environment make a list of all of the outlets that you want to be in including digital so don't just think of broadcast and print think about does someone have a great blog does someone have a uh, important Substack or medium uh you know channel that they can or even a facebook following or instagram following that you want to make sure that that person Um, is on your list of people to um, build a relationship with. And then over time, if you have anyone focused on communications in your organization, have that person or the executive director be the main point of contact with that person. You want to be um, familiar with these folks. You want to be helpful to these folks. Most journalists and writers, they have deadlines. They have facts. They they have things they need to do. And if you can be a resource to them and make their job easier, they're going to call you every single time. One of the most important things with media is to make it easy for the media to cover your issue. I send out a press release that has three quotes in it already from experts. I've made their job so much easier as a reporter, right? So they're gonna just they're gonna call me every single time an issue comes up on my topic because I make it easy for them. So build a list of their your outlets who is the person there, get their Twitter handle, all that different stuff, and then begin building that relationship regularly with them and make it easy. Then they start calling you. You don't even have to do the
1: pitching. So um, how does that work though? How do you start building that relationship? Is there just a cold outreach that that you do, a campaign where you just start either tweeting (laughs) at at, uh, them or you send them an email somehow? How do you begin that relationship?
0: Yep, it's totally cold. If you have a warm connection, great. But unlike fundraising, where it's a little trickier, right? You want to make sure you come in as a fundraiser in a way that's that warms them up or doesn't look too salesy or whatever. But for a reporter, you want to help them do their job better. They want resources. They want people who are sources. They want, those con- they want people giving them information. So it's actually a lot easier with journalists. I would just reach right out to them with a phone call people don't make phone calls anymore they text or they email but i really strongly recommend when it comes to a reporter uh, because they deal in facts and they deal with clarity and sometimes getting a conversation on the phone is so much better than something over email or text so i would definitely reach out uh, even if it's cold and say hi this is my name this is the organization i work with we are experts in this and whenever you cover this issue we'd love to be considered as an expert source and we do this all the time. Uh, my clients, we do this. We reach out to daily and regional outlets and say, please make sure we are on your short list of sources when you're covering gun violence or when you're covering climate so that the, you start getting called. But yeah, it, it does start as a cold outreach. And it could be, again, text, social media. But I always recommend a phone call if you can find their phone number.
1: So I, I'm really glad you said that uh, That you should just do a cold outreach and and just introduce yourself and, and try to get on their list. I was wondering, should you wait until there's an opportunity, until they're actually talking about something that you can give input to and respond to?
0: No, I would say be a resource before you before the before your subject pops right when a reporter has reporters have deadlines, sometimes multiple per day. They have some several stories, but they need to get this this uh, topic or this 500 words or whatever it is to their to their editor by 1 p.m. Right. They have they have very little time which is like a very, very deadline driven uh, career. And so you want to be top of mind. They have things like on their desk or in their phone. They immediately can know who they can pull up, right? They do keyword searches and figure out who do I, who do I go call. And so you don't want to wait till something breaks or something explodes or some topic erupts for you to, be, to get in front of them. Obviously, that's a good time to start if you're late, but you don't want to wait for that moment, right? You definitely want to be an expert in their mind before they need a resource.
1: Really cool. Um, And I just wanted to add, because you were saying earlier about local and regional uh, publications for the smaller nonprofits, I think there's another opportunity that today, because anyone can start their own media channel, there are certainly specialized media channels as well. So it might not be a publication or a news outlet of some sort that covers many different topics, but it might be a specialized blog or, like you said, Substack or, or medium that's talking about something very specific that you really are an expert in. And one of the things that I love about media outreach in general and the types of strategies that you're outlining is it really establishes your organization and individuals within it as thought leaders in the space. And every brand wants to be a thought leader. So this is an opportunity to put your nonprofit brand out there as one as well, right?
0: Absolutely, I think that uh, there are many, many places now where people are basically publishing. So, in addition to blogs, in addition to social media, there are now Substacks and Medium. Medium was launched five or six years ago to be a new publishing platform for creators or anyone to have the, to develop their own audience. Substack is the same way. I can create a newsletter and get paid for that newsletter for my own individual content. Individuals are now publishers and increasingly people who are experts or just really opinionated are publishing their own stuff and if it strikes a chord or it's accurate or they uncover something really interesting it just takes off or it goes viral i can't tell you the the power that is in that simply being local makes you an expert someone nationally could just need a local take on something going on For example simply being a local person in a battleground state heading into a presidential election could make your voice really matter about what you're seeing on the ads on tv what you're seeing about whether politicians are talking about your issue or not so lots of folks can use social media. You can begin just tweeting what you're seeing happening live with police violence or or something anything at all, right? And so people are going to start gravitating toward your platform, whether it's your Twitter feed or whether it's your Substack or whether it's your Facebook group. You can start publishing anywhere where you can develop an audience. So nonprofits have access to all of these platforms for free. Substack is free. All these things are free. Social media is largely free. TikTok, all of these things. So don't hesitate to use your platform and your topic as, an exp- as a reason for creating expertise. If you want to be a thought leader, begin putting out not just newsletters to your own members, but commentary and comment out to the public through a different channel. It's an additional way to get noticed by the press.
1: One more channel I'd add to that is, well, it's a combined channel of shows like this one where people are doing either video or podcasts exclusively audio, and they build up an audience, they build up a following. And like me, for example, they're always looking for great guests. They're always looking for people who can speak to something that may be topical or at least relevant to their audience. So it's another opportunity to put yourself out there and to develop your thought leadership and branding out in the world. I do want to ask. If, let's say, your organization, a nonprofit, has the resources to have multiple people in, in these roles where they have a marketing, a dedicated marketing person, dedicated press person, or maybe they're, they're the same person, but who whom should they be pitching? Is, should it just be anyone within, in the organization or should they be trying to develop a relationship with, for example, the executive director or the head of a particular program that the organization is sponsoring?
0: So I think um, to make sure I understand your question correctly, like uh, who, who would be doing the pitching in this situation?
1: it's It's not necessarily who would be doing the pitching, but you you talked earlier about establishing relationships and saying, hey, we are an authority on this right um, When it comes to a reporter calling for uh, for some okay. sort of input or quoting someone, I would imagine usually it would go to someone who is on a senior level at the organization. Do you try to say, feel free to reach out to so-and-so at any time? Or how do you structure that relationship?
0: Um, So... Uh, For the nonprofit itself, you usually have dedicated people who are the actual spokespeople for the organization. Usually it's the executive director or senior level staff that have been given clearance to talk to reporters. So for the reporters out there to know who to talk to, usually start with the executive director. They're usually the biggest conduit, right? And then internally in a nonprofit, you could dedicate someone on an issue to being a spokesperson based on their seniority or based on their closeness to the issue, right? So you could say, I have a frontline organizer who is involved in this local community where this Horrible thing happened. And simply by being from that community makes them an expert. I've deputized them sort of to become a reporter, to, to become our, our media spokesperson. So I'm not sure if that really answers your question, but like I definitely think uh, within organizations, you should have a strategy for who can speak and people should definitely get trained. You don't want to put folks out there in front of a reporter without getting some kind of media training. It, 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 it can go bad. And then for reporters and journalists out there, uh, definitely, they have a beat. Normally, uh, with newsrooms shrinking, it's harder to have just one beat. Sometimes one reporter is covering four beats now. So they need to know who inside an organization is their first point of contact because they are in a hurry reporters definitely want someone who can respond on the spot. A lot of folks are like, oh, let me think about this and get back with you. Well, reporters aren't going to call you back again if you constantly have to make them wait. If you're able to get on the phone and immediately give comment because you are practiced, uh, they are going to call you way more frequently in the future. So that's the person you want in your nonprofit basically taking these calls.
1: That's exactly what what I was trying to find out from you is, do you have within your organization folks who are deputized, as you just said, or really authorized to speak on behalf of the organization, to speak to media, and hopefully are trained in doing so? So that's exactly on point. Thank you. So, So then we've developed this relationship. We know who in our organization can speak to certain topics when they are called upon to do so. But there is this other angle of pitching pitching your stories i know that reporters are constantly and publications are constantly looking for content and if you could give them something worth publishing that that works for them they'll be happy to take it a lot of times but what goes into a pitch and this is part of your superpower so i'm going to really put you on the spot here how do you structure a pitch what goes into a pitch to a potential publication
0: so um different than fundraising when you're pitching a newsroom you have to be thinking there's two sides of this there's what do i know newsrooms want to hear and then there's what do i want to say as a source right so the first thing as a source as an organization i have to be thinking about what is actually newsworthy about this moment Just because it's not making headlines, doesn't mean it isn't newsworthy. I've uncovered a new trend, a new piece of information, some new facts, some new report that came out that a reporter didn't know about. What makes it new? What makes it newsworthy, right? So when I go to pitch a newsroom, I can't just be like, hey, climate change is happening. Yeah, we know what's new about this, right? So the first question is going to be, what do you have that makes this deadline-driven medium and this deadline-driven culture newsworthy? So the first thing is, why is it new and why is it newsworthy? Did someone locally do something? So, So make it local. The more you can make anything local, the more interesting it is. Um, you also have to be able to make something super like national right not only is this thing happening here in poughkeepsie but it's also a national problem and here's why so make sure it's new and newsworthy but you can localize it and nationalize it that goes into any kind of pitch what i need to be thinking about as i pitch is what's on the other side of that pitch call which is the reporter's constraint which is why should i care Every news desk, every editor of every outlet out there is getting 500 people pitching them for news stories every single day. And every day they are throwing all of them in the trash, saying, why do I care? Why do I care? So if you can break through to them and say why this matters to your readers, to your constituency, to your stakeholders that's how you're going to break through so for the reporter side they have an editor that they need to get this through right and that you need to convince them why this matters now so the case the 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 super succinct way that you can explain why this matters human harm suffering violence corruption what is happening right there that you can prove that will break through because that's the number one filter they're using is how why do I care it's in order to sift through the 500 different pitches they're getting
1: it sounds like what I teach in storytelling a lot and what I learned in fourth grade, which is you want to really present the who, what, when, where, and most importantly, why. Mm-hmm. Uh, why it's relevant, why it's significant, why it deserves column inches in print or you know screen inches on, on, on digital. Yep. Cool. All right, Sean, I want to be very conscious of your time, and we're hitting the 30-minute mark now. I know that when I asked you for resources, you had a whole bunch of them that you wanted to share with us. Give me the highlights, which I'll link to all of them in the show notes. They'll all be there for folks to find. But what should people be looking at as they're trying to develop their own idea of media strategy?
0: so if you have a little bit of a budget i definitely would say folks could look into Cision. it's a little tricky spelling i think it's c-i-s-i-o-n Cision, or some people might know one of their products as pr newswire if you don't have um uh, an an in-house communications capacity you could pay for a subscription to just to disseminate your news releases everywhere i will say that i don't always think that just blasting news releases all over the country is the best use of your dollar but it is a way for some organizations to get to get into newsrooms for sure. So Scission and PR Newswire is one way. You can both pay to track news and also to distribute news. Another way is Meltwater. Meltwater is just one of the many ones out there that does clipping service. So if you're want, if you getting a lot of coverage and you wanna track trends, or your opposition is getting lots of coverage and you wanna track trends, Meltwater could be an interesting tool. I don't know the pricing right now, but I know that you can subscribe to Meltwater. But the for those on a budget, Um, I think that Google Alerts is really, really powerful. You can set a Google Alert on anyone, any topic, any keyword, any event, and see what's actually happening. The minute something hits a blog or the news, you will get an email on that or get a daily digest on that. That's a free option for you. Another way to see whether something is popping in terms of a trend, to see whether something is newsworthy, is to use Google Trends. Google Trends is free. Anyone can go to Google Trends right now and see what words are popping. Is it is it um, you know uh, some pop star like Dua Lipa, or is it something about Ukraine right now? What issues are popping how can your issue fit into that trending issue right see if you can figure out whether your topic matches something that's in the national conversation right now if you have a twitter account which is totally free they have a trending section right see what's actually popping on twitter right now and see if your issue can sort of fit into there those are different ways for free or for cost that you can kind of track issues and then uh use that to capitalize on how to fit your issue into that 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 stream right another tool out there for folks um, can I mention the tools that I have or do we want to check? Sure. Them? I
1: usually, uh, ask anyway, uh, what is your call to action? What do you want people to do? And I'm happy to, uh, have you promote any of your work that you think is relevant to this. So please go. Excellent. Yeah.
0: So, folks, I think in the show notes, you'll be able to get these links and stuff. But I think that one of the things that's really important is for nonprofits to learn how to create a unique value proposition. This is something created by marketers and the private sector to help understand how to sell products. But I think nonprofits could really benefit from learning how to take not just their case statement, but also take a new thing called a unique value proposition and really explain to people why my organization is the most suited to solve a particular social problem and how how, what the call to action is. I have a free guide on how to create a unique value proposition. I didn't see anyone out there offering this particular tool, so I have a free resource for you to download on that. I also have a a handout that you can grab for handling tough media questions. Some folks want to avoid the media because they don't like being put on the spot and they're afraid of kind of getting really tough media questions. I have a free guide about handling tough media questions, rapid fire questions, trick questions, all that stuff. And then also you can grab my full course, which is not very expensive at all, but I have a course training nonprofit leaders, how to do media engagement, how to write press releases, how to do editorials, how to actually craft your message. All of that is based in my course, Media Skills Crash Course for Nonprofits. And I've been spending many, many years training people on how to do the media. And so you You'll get a link to that course there. Uh, So those are just some of the resources I had today.
1: I really appreciate all of them. Uh, The free ones I use all the time, Google News Alerts and Google Trends. Uh, Google Trends is interesting. Um, You might find things that you weren't really looking for there, but there's definitely really great knowledge to be absorbed from it. Um, I know I've worked with Cision uh, before as well, and I know that you put out great stuff, so I'm actually going to check out some of those resources. I talk about unique value proposition when I work out an organization's storytelling plan, but I've never as as you just said, I've never actually seen just a tool to figure that out. So I'm really curious, actually, how you do it. And I encourage everyone to go check it out. We're going to have all the links to uh, all of the resources that Sean mentioned, whether they're on his site or some others, uh, in our show notes. So I hope everybody will come and check those out. Any parting words for the folks at home, Sean? No, just
0: I really encourage folks to lean in, engage the public, uh, engage the media. It's your friend. You really can be uh, more powerful and get a huge audience for your nonprofit and make a, n- a bigger impact faster by engaging the media. so don't 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 sit on the sidelines. engage.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Sean, for breaking all of that down. Uh, you didn't hold back anything that that I was asking. You broke it down as best as possible. And I hope that organizations, nonprofit leaders, because organizations don't have ears, but nonprofit leaders do, that who are listening to this, really do follow up and take the actions to engage with media. Get your voices heard. Don't let the story be controlled by the Joe Rogan's, no offense, not that he's going to be listening, but no offense if you're a fan of his. Don't let them control the narrative. Take charge, take power back, uh, and hold truth to power. Uh, or Yes, whole truth to power, uh, like Sean said earlier. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Sean, for joining us. Thank you, everybody, for watching and listening today. I hope we have helped you create more heroes for your cause with these strategies. If you enjoyed it, please, please, please do leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite platform so that more folks like you can consume this content, can find it, and can create more heroes for their cause too. Have a great day, everybody.
0: Thank you all for watching and listening to the Nonprofit Hero Factory. We hope this episode has given you some ideas and strategies for creating more heroes for your cause and a better world for all of us. Please be sure to subscribe to this show on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And let us know what you think by leaving a review.